morning. Beautiful sunny morning in contrast to last week. I know that a number of people uh, didn't make it because of the threatening weather, and because of that, you might have missed uh, Brent's message last week, unless you took the opportunity to go to the uh, website and listen to it there, which I would encourage, because uh, it is uh, highly worth listening to. I'm not going to repeat what Brent said, but I hope that in some way I might build on it, because he talked about failure, and the Bible is full of all sorts of examples of people who failed spectacularly. And one of the most dramatic of them has to be the story of Peter and his denial of Jesus, a most dramatic failure, spelled out in all of its painful detail. And we can relate to failure because we've all been there. Around our house, it seems like maybe it happens mostly around the kitchen at dinner time because that's when we're all together. But inevitably, something will go sideways, somebody will mess something up, and one of my children will say, that's a fail, or hashtag fail, or some other wisecrack. And I was thinking about one of my more recent spectacular fails that actually occurred in the kitchen. Yeah, oh yeah, we got new appliances this fall. I thought it would be a good idea to burn that new stove smell right off of that new stove. So I cranked up all the burners, turned the fan on the microwave above, and uh, just let that sucker run. You know, I did not really appreciate how hot that stove was going to get <laughs> until the microwave made a rather disturbing noise and stopped working. That was a fail. <laughs> Hashtag epic fail. And it cost us a few dollars. Now, I suppose on the upside, we did get a microwave that matched our stove, but <laughs> still, not all of our failures uh, are amusing, even in hindsight, right? And this is something I know that we can relate to. And of all the failures that, that I could talk about this morning, I want to really zero in on one specific type of failure. I want to just talk about the failure to share our faith. Because this is very meaningful to where we are at as a congregation, where we endeavor to go as a congregation, becoming a body of believers where every single person in this congregation is involved in reaching out to those around us that are outside of the church. But yet, we often fail to share our faith. And I will put myself at the first and foremost of that group. We know what it's like to fail. Why do we fail so often? It has a lot to do with fear, doesn't it? We're afraid. I think often I'm afraid of failure, right? What am I afraid of? I'm afraid of rejection. That's a good one, isn't it? I'm afraid of being ridiculed. I'm afraid that I might be wrong. These are the kind of thoughts that prevent me sometimes from, fail, you know, keep me from sharing my faith. They're at the heart of my failure to share what I believe. And I know that a lot of you feel like you're in the same boat. 
And that's why I thought it would be so helpful for us to take another look at this continuing story of Peter as we transition from what Brent shared last week to what Brent will be sharing in coming weeks from the book of 1 Peter. Just to look at Peter's failure and what we might learn from that failure. We heard those verses read this morning from John 21. And I'd like you to kind of just maybe step back just a little bit in your minds to what happened before this story takes place. We've got Peter denying Jesus. And what happened you know, before that even, right? If you think back to a time when Jesus predicted Peter's betrayal, the story, the tone was quite different. It's related in probably a couple of places. I know it's, I think it's in Matthew 24, 26, but you will remember the story. Jesus, Jesus predicted Peter's betrayal. And, and what does Peter say to Jesus? I will never leave you. I will never, ever turn my back on you. Even if all of the rest of these guys desert you, I will die with you. That is, that is bold, brash Peter, okay? You know who that guy is? That guy is arrogant. That was a statement that he was not going to be able to live up to. And Jesus told him that was going to be the case. He predicted the denial. Now imagine yourself as Peter sitting by that fire in the courtyard when you've just sworn up and down for the third time, I don't even know the guy, and the rooster crows. And, and, and imagine, you know, being Peter, kind of maybe looking across the courtyard and just locking eyes with Jesus for that moment. And the crushing defeat that you would feel. I think most of us can relate to that feeling because we failed, so we know what that feels like. The weight of that. The, the, the scripture, John chapter 18, it tells us Peter wept bitterly, right? He felt that pain. Oh, yeah. Okay, we know what that pain feels like. We know how the failure feels. And I, I was just kind of thinking about that, letting it, letting it percolate a little bit. And I thought a bit, a bit about the time that would have transpired, because there isn't a full account here, right, of what would have transpired. But you imagine Peter leaves that scene. He's broken, bitter, weeping. You can imagine it, right? And then we've got like a couple of days. I mean, Jesus is crucified, and Peter is living with the weight of now Jesus is dead, and the last thing that I did was denied him, and now I've got these days in between. What was that like for Peter, right? How was that sitting with him? And then the most miraculous thing happens. Right? Christ is resurrected. He's not dead. This is amazing, right? I mean, the joy. But it would have been held in, con in, 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 in sort of in contrast, right? The tension with that joy would be, but where do I stand now? Can you imagine that feeling? I think you can, because I know I can, because I think a lot of us have failed in different ways. We feel like we failed God, and we've probably had a very similar feeling. Where does that leave me? Where do I stand right now? 
after such a failure. And I'm imagining Peter feels this way. How, where do I stand? I'm, I'm really happy that Jesus is alive, but I mean, I really messed up. And that's where we find ourselves in John 21. And, and Peter and the disciples that are sitting around there, and I, I can just imagine Peter says, I'm going fishing. Why, why would that be? Well, probably because he's going back to what he knows, right? Like, that, that's a very human kind of tendency we have. Like, we want to reset, we go back to the familiar, right? I know, I know fishing. I don't know where I stand right now, but I know fishing. So I'm going to go fishing, right? So the disciples join him. And they're out there, they're out there on the water, and they, they, they see Jesus on the, on the shore. Now, there is, we heard the story read, and, and it is an incredible story. Uh, you know, that, that we'll take a whole other sermon sometime and talk about the story of these fish, okay? But this morning, I want to just kind of pass that over, and I want to talk about the breakfast. Because I think that that is where we can learn something very, very important. See, Jesus calls his disciples to sit down and share a meal with him. Now, remember, all of these guys have deserted Jesus, right? None of them were hanging around when he was arrested. Peter had the biggest, most, you know, bold, arrogant approach, but everybody was, had, had deserted him, basically, right? So it's just interesting that what Jesus does here is he invites them to share a meal. In his grace, he shares community with these guys. He invites them to sit around the fire and have something to eat. Which I think is just beautiful. It just, it just shows us something about the nature of Jesus, right? In terms of the way that he approaches us. And after they share the meal, this is the moment that it's all been building to for Peter. They've just finished dinner, breakfast, I guess. Just had some fish. They're sitting around. And Jesus turns to Peter and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And that question is loaded. How loaded is that question? I just want you to think for a minute about a couple of things. Why does Jesus call Peter Simon? You might remember, uh, you could look at the story in Matthew 4, where uh, Simon, who is Peter, and his brother Andrew were called as disciples. Where were they? They were fishing. And Jesus said to them, come with me, and I will make you fishers of men. He calls them away from that life to something new. And in the process, he changed Peter's name. It's Simon's name to Peter, right? But now, Jesus says, Simon. Do you think that got Peter's attention? He's calling me by my old name. What does that mean? Does that mean I'm back to where I started? Does that mean I'm no longer called? I'm being kicked out of the club? What does that mean? I think Jesus is, is really setting kind of a, a, a new call here, a fresh tone, a reboot for Peter. 
Remember where the guys just were. Where were they? They were fishing. He's gone back, almost reset to the beginning. They've just come in from fishing. And Jesus says, Simon, do you love me more than these? And then the great question, you've probably heard this talked about many times before, what does these refer to? Does these mean the boats and the fish and the nets and all that stuff? Or do you love me more than these, meaning do you love me more than the other disciples? Probably a little bit of both. That is a loaded question. Peter, Simon, do you love me more than all this stuff? Than, what you're, than the familiar? Do you love me more than that life that you know? Do you love me more than your fishing and all of your stuff? But also, do you love me more than the rest of these disciples? Why? Because remember what Peter said? Even if all these guys leave you, I will die with you. So what do you say, Simon? Are you still amped up here? Are you still going to claim that you love me more than everybody else loves me? Can you just can you imagine the weight of that question? Do you love me more than these? Now, now Peter's answer tells a lot about what's going on with him in terms of the way he's transitioning, right? Because he's had time to reflect. And, and we're not getting a bold, brash answer out of Peter at this point, right? We're getting a very humble, Lord, you know that I love you. Right? It's focusing on Jesus and what Jesus knows to be true, not on Peter and what he, you know, can do or can't, would do or won't do, not even on the other disciples. Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus switches the metaphor. He says, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, take care of my flock. It's an interesting switch because when he called them from being fishermen, he said, I'll make you fishers of men. That's interesting enough. I'm going to get you to fish for men. I don't know how, that, how far you can stretch that analogy. You know, what do you do? You reel a fishing, you club it, and, uh, <laughs> and then you sell it. Like, is. I'm not sure that that's the uh, I'm not sure that's the metaphor for discipleship we're looking for, right? But 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 becoming a shepherd, caring for sheep, well that's something entirely different. Right? Cuz a shepherd he is alongside the flock, leading, guiding, protecting, feeding, caring for. And this is the new commission that Peter is being given. But you notice that Jesus doesn't just let it sit, does he? No. No, no. He asks him again and again. Three times he asks this question. And I can't claim that I can unpack for you the full depth and meaning and weight of that. We know that in some way it is reminiscent of Peter's denial. That there's a connection here. Remember, the last time we hear about Peter sitting around a fire... He denies Jesus three times. This time, sitting around the fire, Jesus asks him three times, do you love me? But I think part of what's going on here is Jesus is really digging into the depths of Peter's heart. Because you see, by the third time, Peter is anguished over this. He's upset that the Lord would ask him three times, yes, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. 
And I think that, that Jesus is really wanting to get past the superficial here, the bluster, the quick answer, to the heart, deep down. And that is so often what happens when Jesus is working on us. He's not going to accept the easy answer. He wants to dig deep, drill down to the heart, and in brokenness, at the place of true repentance, Peter makes his confession. Yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. It is painful. It is raw. But it's really honest. And Jesus has called Peter back to this new place, new commission to be a shepherd. And I think that this is incredibly powerful, tangible stuff for us today. Because I think that when we hear the Great Commission, when Jesus says, go to the entire world, make disciples, this is tied to that, this, this kind of thought. He, we are called to be, I think, less fishers of men and more shepherds, to make disciples, to walk alongside people, to to journey with them, to help feed them, to care for them, to protect them, to, you know, to do all of these things. And yet we're afraid sometimes to do that. We're afraid to speak up. We're afraid of ridicule. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of being wrong. And you know, that's so messed up because that has nothing to do with it at all. What does, what does Jesus say the primary qualification is here? What is the primary qualification for this new commission that, that, that Jesus is giving to Peter? It's right there in the text. What is it? Is it, is it not obvious to you? Do you love me? Bingo. The primary qualification is our love for Jesus. That's all he asks. He doesn't ask, is your theological training good enough? Do you know your Bible inside out? Can you name all 66 books in a row backwards? None of that is what Jesus is asking. Jesus is asking a very simple question. Do you love me more than these? Let's not forget that tag. When you ask that question, if Jesus was to sit down with you and say, do you love me more than these? This love is marked by a dependence. Let's not forget that we can't do this without Holy Spirit, right? This is Holy Spirit-empowered stuff. This, this doesn't happen without the Holy Spirit. This love is marked by dependence and obedience. Obedience is so important. Look at the next few verses when you have time. Jesus talks about Peter's future, what's going to happen. It's not glamorous. It's going to require obedience. Dependence, obedience are the marks of this love. What else? Humility. And this is where we finally get to the heart of it, I think. Peter's problem was pride. He was arrogant. Not many of you guys here today are arrogant. I might be. <laughs> but I love this because sometimes I would say to people, yeah, you know what, pride, pride's an issue. And people will say, oh, no, it's not, no, it's not. For you, you're not proud. And I'm like, yeah, right. You're like, you don't know me. Pride is the primary issue for Peter. And it is the primary issue for us. 
Why are we afraid of ridicule? Why are we afraid of rejection? Why are we afraid of being wrong? It's pride. We don't want to look bad. We don't want to feel bad. We don't want to look like we're wrong. It's all about us. And that's not what Jesus is talking about or calling us to, right? Um, Rick Warren has this pithy little quote uh, that is kind of reminiscent. Some people think it might be sort of a paraphrase of C.S. Lewis, right? It says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Now, when I am concerned with being ridiculed or rejected or being wrong, I'm just entirely thinking about myself. I am not thinking of myself less at all. And this is the profound truth. If you actually were to read C.S. Lewis on humility, he has a lot to say on the subject. And you know, C.S. Lewis says where it all starts. True humility starts with recognizing that we are proud. And if you don't recognize that, that's the fundamental problem you have to deal with. I can remember about 20, maybe 23 years ago, I had this little devotional book, and I picked up the, first, the book, and I read the first kind of part of it, and it was like uh, talking about pride and how if we don't recognize that we're proud, we're, you know, if we, if we think we're humble, we're probably really proud. And I was, I was mulling that stuff over, and it, it just went right over my head. And I took that book, and I put it back on the shelf, and I, I, I probably left it there for a couple of years. And, and, and I don't know, after a couple of years, at some point, I, I, I can remember... Not the dates, but I can remember taking that book and thinking, I should probably pass that along or do something with it. I'm not reading it. And I started flipping through it, and I read that again, and it hit me like a brick in the side of the head. I don't think I have a problem with humility. I have a big problem with humility. I have a huge problem. Twenty-odd years later, God is still working on me. I have a huge problem with humility. <laughs> I'm still concerned with being ridiculed or rejected or being wrong. This stuff is always somewhere in the back of my mind. And that's only half of the problem. We'll have to unpack that another day. We don't want this to turn into a therapy session for me. Trust me. It won't be pretty. If you recognize your, your, your pride is an issue, that is where the turning point takes place for us. If we can acknowledge that, then we have the opportunity to do something about it. And I think we find an, a wonderful example in this, in this uh, verse, verses that we've been reading. Because um, it starts with this conversation with Jesus. Do you love me more than these? Now, I will warn you, do not, because I care for you, do not go there unless you're serious. Okay? Because as soon as you honestly ask Jesus this question, Lord, do I love you more than my stuff? Do you know what he's going to do? <laughs> you're a pessimist. Take stuff away. <laughs> if you honestly ask that question, he's going to show you the stuff that's a problem. And you're going to have to honestly decide, okay, Lord, do I love you more than my bank account? Hmm. Do I love you more than my recreational activities? Do I love you more than my family, my friends? What, what is it? You'll have something. 
Oh, it's guaranteed. We all do, right? And, and God's going to ask that question. Do you love me more than these? More than that? That's where it starts. And, and just as in this example, right? Like, he's, he, he'll, go, he'll ask you more than once. It's, it's, not a, it's not always easy to do. But that's where it starts for us. This, this example, by the way, of the conversation, I think, also, if you're serious, right? This, this is only for the serious. If you're serious, you can take this example also into your personal life because can you imagine, like, just, just sitting down with a loved one, somebody that you care about or somebody that you can trust, somebody you know, and say, listen, um, do I have a blind spot here? Like, is there something I'm missing? Am I, am I actually, do I come across as humble or... Do I have another issue that I should be aware of? See, <laughs> I hate those questions. I, I just did my evaluation for my ministry work with YFC, and I hate those evaluations. I hate them. You know why? Because they always come with honest feedback. Right? When you sit down, you are going to get some constructive criticism. I don't want constructive criticism. I want you to pat me on the back and tell me what a great job I'm doing. I want you to tell me how awesome I am. I hate constructive criticism. But I need it. If you're serious, do you have the guts to sit down with some people, somebody who knows you, somebody that you care about and cares about you, and say, hey, just wondering, can you see anything here? And in both cases, whether it's the conversation you have with somebody else or the conversation you have with the Lord, it's very important for us to listen. That's probably why Jesus dug into this with Peter. Peter, do you love me? Oh, yeah, yeah, I love you. You know I love you. No, no, Peter, listen. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, yes, you know I love you. Peter, Listen closely. Do you really, really love me? Right? Listen. Dig in. Have, the, have that active listening a part of your conversation with the Lord. He'll tell you, right? He'll tell you through Scripture. He'll tell you through, through people that care about you if you're listening. But we've got to be actively listening to him. And if we can start to deal with his help, with this pride monster, can we find ourselves, can we actually envision ourselves in a place where we would be willing and open to sharing our faith, to not be afraid of ridicule, to not be afraid of being rejected, to not be afraid of being wrong? but to simply let a love for Christ overflow to the point where we're just, we just want to talk about him and share him because we know people need to hear about him. I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about this until Brent mentioned the church building next door here with the fence around it. What a metaphor. That's what people see, right? People see barriers coming to Christ. Our job is to knock that fence down, metaphorically speaking. Right? That's, that's, 
that, if in a nutshell, that is what Christ is calling you to do. If you don't believe that that's what, what Christ is calling you to do, um, I'm going to be bold and tell you, you might want to find another church. Because our vision is for everybody to be, be engaged with the, the, the work of reaching out to those outside the church. This is not a vision for like people who want to be fence sitters or people who take up space in a pew. Like, have you guys been watching the Olympics? The Olympics are a spectator sport, okay? Right? For most of us, we're not Olympians. We're spectators. Do you know, I, I could care less. I don't pay attention to sports. I'm sorry if I offend anybody, but I just don't care. But you know what I thought was really fascinating? Mr. T is a fan of curling now. Mr. T. You know, the Mohawk, pity the fool, Mr. T. He is, he, he's tweeting about curling. He loves curling now. Mr. T was an actor in the 80s. I'm telling all the millennials here. Do uh, you guys know who Mr. T was? B.A. Brack? No. Oh, okay, good. All right. So anyway. A-team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, Mr. T is a fan of curling. You guys, I'm so off track now. Mr. T is a fan of curling. Okay? And he's been talking about it. Now, I, one of the things Mr. T said is, at one point, he said something to the effect of he's probably not going to try curling. Right? Because if he goes out on the ice, he's going to fall down and there's going to be video on the internet. Right? And this is Mr. T, right? He is, you know, and you know that's going to happen, right? And he doesn't want that fail to be on the internet. So for Mr. T, it's okay for curling to remain a spectator sport. He can go to every curling match he wants to and sit and watch and stand and yell and cheer and be a fan of curling. No problem. But when it comes to this great commission calling that we're given to be shepherds, to be out sharing our faith, there isn't actually a space for fans. There isn't actually room for, for us to sit here. You can't come in here on Sunday morning and even, even if you want to be a, an encourager and a cheerer, like we've got to get involved. You can't just sit and watch the show. Somehow, I'm not mandating exactly how, because God has a different plan for all of us, but I'm telling you that somehow God is calling you to be active in that work. And that is the ultimate thing that we have to wrestle with this morning. Is can we get past our fear of rejection, our fear of ridicule, our fear of being wrong? Can we put our pride in its place and start sharing our love for Jesus actively with those around us that need it? That is what the Lord is calling us to do. And that is something that can only come out of an overflow from our own hearts, something that, that comes from our deepest relationship with Him. Only through the power of the Holy Spirit. But it's, it's our prayer that that is the place that you will find yourself in today. Amen.